So as Brother James just shared, uh, we have a guest speaker this morning, uh, Pastor James Cha. Um, Pastor James served in Central Asia with uh, Pioneers for about 10 years, and since 2010, um, he's been serving in the D.C. area, uh, reaching out to uh, the Muslim people there. Um, a little bit about Pastor James. Um, he is uh, certainly not a stranger here at Harvest. He has been here a few times, so um, if he looks familiar, uh, maybe it's because you saw him before, but there's also a younger version of uh, Pastor James um, in our congregation who is uh, our, 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 our youth pastor, um, uh, Josiah Cha. So, um, <clears throat> uh, Pastor James um, also has, uh, has, has three kids. So um, there's uh, Johnny L, Josiah, and Karis. And also, um, a very interesting fact about Pastor James is that uh, he asked him to or he asked his wife to marry him um, on their third date. Their third date. So, <laughs> just a nice, fun, interesting fact. Uh, we, we like to give uh, some some color and some and, and, and some fun context to our guest speaker. But if you could, if you could welcome up Pastor James, a nice, warm harvest welcome. I'm going to ask my wife to come and pray for us. So if, um, well, I'm setting up here. And it is a joy and a privilege for both of us to be here. This year is 28 years of marriage. So we're, I'm grateful for my wife and my BFF. And then she's going to pray for us for this time. Yes, praise the Lord for the third uh, date proposal, and the Lord has been faithful, and we pray for the young people here that you would also uh, have that kind of special blessings. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Psalm 84 says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, and even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow nests for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us, Lord, in the house, the law of the Lord, house of your prayer house. Father, we thank you that we have a community. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us a place where we can be restored, Lord, renewed in our spirits, in your house. And I thank you for raising us up, Lord, to be the true worshipers in spirit and in truth. And we thank you that you have given us strength and a commitment to follow you on this day of Sabbath. Father, would you bless Pastor James Cha as he delivers your message from your heart that we will be, Lord, inspired, that we will be convicted, we will be encouraged to follow hard after you. Father, may the Holy Spirit fill us, every one of us, break our hearts, Lord, break our pride, and set us, Lord, uh, as humble servants sitting at your feet and be teachable in every way, every message you give us. Father, we ask that you will stir us up for the missions even to the, Lord, neighborhood around here as well as, as to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Great. Praise God, and it's always a privilege and a joy to be with you. I'm preaching here now that our son is serving here as an intern pastor. It's even a greater privilege. 
And this morning's text and message comes from the Lord's Prayer. And this is off and on over the last few years, I've been looking at different phrases, parts of the Lord's Prayer. As I have been thinking more about missions, but also the church here in the States. And this morning, the part of that is an interesting phrase where Jesus teaches the disciples and to us to pray and to the Father, lead us not into temptation, which is kind of odd. Because normally we don't pray that. We pray, God, would you deliver me from this temptation I have with lust, with anger, you know, with greed. But Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So if you can read this with me, that it is on the screen. And this is the NIV version. So we'll start reading together from verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And many of us, if we grew up in the church or if we have family that have devotions, oftentimes we begin or end our times with Lord's Prayer. And verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some translations have delivered us from evil. But I like this particular translation where it says deliver us from the evil one, which come from some of the manuscripts. Because I believe this is what Jesus actually was teaching his disciples to pray. And I'll unpack that later. And so as we look at the topic of temptation, I want to take us to two places in the scripture where it gives an account of temptation. The first one is David and Bathsheba. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. And it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find find out about her. The man said, "Isn't isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So that's the first scenario. The second one comes from the New Testament, Luke chapter 22. Starting from verse 54. And this is the account of Peter as he struggles with fear following Christ after his arrest. Verse 54, then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. 
but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Oh, man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and Remember the Lord, the word the Lord has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So both of these accounts, one of David and one of Peter, both men, figures of, in the Bible that we respect, admire greatly, they both failed. In David's case, in both cases, God revealed what was in their hearts. In David's case, it was sinful, lustful, flesh desire for women, and even as king, whom God would describe him as a man of his, after his own heart. Through this setting, David, what was in his heart comes out. He sleeps with this woman who's married to another man. And in this tragic case, David ends up breaking three of the Ten Commandments. God told His people do not covet your neighbor's wife, and David does. Do not commit adultery, and he does. Do not commit murder. He ends up killing Bathsheba's husband. And eventually, God confronts David through his prophet, Nathan. When the child is born, David does repent. And in his genuine repentance, he writes Psalm 51 which to us is a great source of inspiration, encouragement, and challenge, even as we struggle with our own sin. As we jump to Peter's temptation in Luke chapter 22, we see that Peter's fear and pride are revealed. He was the one who told Jesus, even if others disown you or deny you or fall away from you, I will never do that. And that was a few hours before Jesus' arrest. And when Jesus is arrested and Peter follows Christ into the courtyard, his fear is revealed. His own, his dependence on his own strength is revealed. And Jesus had already warned his disciples many chapters before. Actually, at the beginning of their ministry together, he had said, warned them that they would be arrested, that they would be brought before those who would persecute both Jesus and him. And Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says this, whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And so Peter knew those words. And even though he knew those words, when he was confronted by the possibility of being arrested and tortured like Jesus, he would disown Jesus three times. And just as in David's case, David would... Repent, so does Peter. It says he goes out bitterly, he weeps, he repents. And we know that after Jesus is resurrected, he comes back. He spends time with his disciples, and he does restore Peter. In John 21, Jesus restores Peter, reinstates the relationship that had been broken, restores Peter to his place 
of being one of the leaders. And eventually, after the coming down of the Holy Spirit, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, Peter becomes the leader of the early church. So how do these two scenarios connect with today's text where Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation? And I believe the first case with David, it's not what Jesus is talking about here in the Lord's Prayer. In David's case, it was his sinful desire that led him into temptation. And I believe that's the first category, if you're going through the outline, that we struggle with. 99% of our daily struggle with temptation comes from our own sinful desire. And that takes us to James chapter 1, verse 13. You can turn there with me, and I'll read it. James 1, 13 where it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his evil, own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's the process. Our sinful flesh desires lead us into temptation, we sin, and it's in David's case, he not only commits adultery, he commits murder, death comes about, physical death, but in the long run, if we do not repent of our sins and, and come back to Christ, come back to God, then it ends up as we are eternally separated from God, the source of life. And that becomes the second death, the eternal death. But I want to point out in the Lord's Prayer today, Jesus did not teach us to pray, Father who art in heaven, you know, let me not be tempted by addictions that I have to pornography, to drugs, to substance, to anger. He doesn't teach us to pray, to be delivered from temptation, to the habit of gossiping, lying, fits of rage and violence against my coworkers, my family, my proneness to, to greed or buying things that I don't need. Because Jesus knew the root of all that temptation is the sinful desire that we have, our flesh desire that we all struggle with. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for that, that when you are tempted to ask God, give me strength to overcome these desires. I'm struggling with alcohol. Can you help me? I'm not saying that, that's not, that it's wrong, but that's not what Jesus is teaching. Because I believe Jesus, already knowing that we struggle with that, he gave us the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, which we see in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so... The Lord's Prayer is a reflection of a life patterned after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving us some radical teachings on what it means to follow him. And if we follow him and obey his commands given in that sermon, then we would not need to pray to God, our Father, deliver me even from my sinful desires. He's teaching us how to repent 
And repentance is more than just confession, telling God, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning away from. If we're going the wrong direction, pursuing the desires of our heart, building our own kingdom, struggling with pornography, drinking, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, repent, turning away, going 180 degrees in the opposite direction, going going towards God. And so this morning, I want to cover with go over with you four faces of repentance that Jesus teaches about that we see in the scriptures, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And the first is radical action in Matthew chapter 5, starting from verse 27. Jesus, talking about the sin of adultery, he says this, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Let's see. Let me see if, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus is telling us, um, let me just go to the first part. He's teaching us, if you are struggling with your flesh desires and it's taking you, tempting you to sin, deal with it radically. And literally, if we followed Christ's teachings, I believe all the men in this room, we should only have one eye, including me. Because I have had struggles with pornography. And some of the women here, because we're finding out pornography is not, no longer an issue with men. It's with women as well. And Jesus is saying, if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Go to heaven with just one hand. Whatever it is, violence, rage, immorality, to cut it off. And I think in spirit of Jesus' teaching, his principle here, many of us we should cut off our tongue because with it, we curse, we cuss, we abuse, we slander, we lie. And the radical action that Jesus is saying is you should do something about it. It's not enough just to confess. Be radical in dealing with that part of your life, that part of your body that causes you to sin. And some of us here in, those, in our, you know, especially with the next generation where we struggle with Social media, Instagram, where we post things, we attack people, we abuse people, we send immoral things, images through social media. You know, in spirit of what Jesus is saying, cut off our fingers because we're texting those things. And I know Jesus did not mean literally to gouge out our eyes, but he's saying be radical. If your smartphone causes you to sin, get rid of it. If you have social accounts, social media accounts that are causing you to sin, close them down. Shut down internet in your house if that is causing you to sin. I grew up as a pastor's kid struggling with watching horror movies. For some reason, that was my cause of rebellion, my my escape. And I don't know what sick person would love watching horror movies, but that was me, guilty of that. 
And you know, even after coming to Christ and committing my life to be a follower of Jesus and being a missionary to Muslims, I would still watch these horror movies. And one day, God had to confront me. I had a nightmare where I killed my younger brother, who's now a pastor of a church in Northern Virginia. I killed him with an ax in my dream. And and the Lord allowed me to see my own face, and my face was covered with my younger brother's blood, and I was smiling. And I woke up from this nightmare, and I felt a demonic presence right next to me in the bedroom. And I'm so, you know, I was too fearful to look over if there was truly a demon, but I knew there was a presence, and I just got down on my knees, repented, confessed, God, forgive me for watching these horror movies, And then I made a commitment, I will no longer watch horror movies, which I've kept for the last 30 years. And if that's your struggle, God is saying, get rid of it. Make a commitment instead of letting it faster and allowing it to continue to be a source of temptation. And the Lord was saying to me, you become what you watch. You become what you think. You reap what you sow in in Galatians chapter 6. So I encourage you to seek counseling, biblical counseling through the pastors here, or if you know a ministry. My wife and I, we do believe in inner healing ministry as well. Some of you are struggling in bondage where with your own strength, you cannot break out of it. And in Jacksonville, Florida, there's a ministry called Christian Healing Ministries where people with charismatic gifts will pray for you to be set free from things, struggles, You know, we've really recently discovered on a short-term mission to Turkey, there was a Ukrainian woman who wanted to serve in this church, Andrew Brunson's church, actually, in Izmir. And she asked my wife and her prayer team, pray for me that God would open the door. I'm not seeing fruit in my, my ministry. And as my wife and these two other women were praying for her, the Lord showed them a vision that her womb was very dark. And they sensed that something happened. And so they asked, have you had abortions? And this Ukrainian woman, Christian for 20 years, said, yes, I had three abortions. And so they asked this woman, well, repent. Can you repent and confess that it was wrong and ask God to forgive you? And you know what she said out of her pride? She said, I was living in Soviet Union times when everyone did that. So she refused to repent. And she could not receive the blessing of the Lord, of forgiveness and cleansing of her sins. And I do want to put out this challenge. If there has been abortion in your life, or if you're the man who caused pregnancy and told your girlfriend to have an abortion, that is murder. You need to renounce that and confess that. Do not hide that. Because the healing and the refreshment of the Lord will not come. And that's what was blocking this woman from having ministry with the Lord. This young man that you see on the screen, his name is Abdul Rashid. He was a Muslim who came to Christ in Kyrgyzstan. He was struggling with cigarette smoking. He would smoke two packs of cigarette a day. A terrible habit, and he wanted to break that. But even after coming to Christ, he was struggling. So the pastor of our house church challenged him and he said why don't you fast three days and ask God ask the Holy Spirit to help you to break this habit of cigarette smoking 
Because the same thing happened with this pastor. He had been struggling with cigarette smoking, and God broke him after fasting three days. So Abdul Rashid, first time he fasted and prayed three days, just no food, drinks, water. It didn't break. So the following week, he did it again for the another three days, fasted and prayed, and that time the Holy Spirit broke it. So from that day on, he no longer had a desire to smoke. And I know with our generation, the next generation, vaping, e-cigarettes is becoming popular, and I don't know, you know, the Holy Spirit knows who you are. I'm not saying this to condemn you, and the Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn when he convicts us of sin. He comes to set us free because he knows it's wrong and it's hurting our body, hurting our spirit, hurting our mind and your relationship with God and people around you. And maybe the drastic action that God is saying is you need to fast and pray. Three days, a week, whatever the Lord is laying on your heart so that you can be set free. And I, this book I highly recommend for those who are struggling with drugs. Chasing the Dragon, it's a, it's a testimony of a missionary, a single missionary woman from England who went to Hong Kong in the 1960s. And she had a ministry amongst those who were addicted to drugs, especially heroin and opium. And coming from a charismatic background, she opened up a small club where those who were struggling with heroin addiction would come and pray. And as they turned their life over to Jesus, they would be set free. But in this one case, this young man, many of his friends would be locked up for one week to go through that with terrible withdrawal symptom where they're begging for heroin. And then they would be set free after one week of intense struggle. But this young man came in, started worshiping Jesus, a gang leader, he started praying and worshiping Jesus. And somehow at that time, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he received the gift of tongue on his own without anyone laying on of hands. And he prayed for 30 minutes. And then at the end of the 30 minutes, he was set free. He didn't have to go through the withdrawal, the harsh reality of withdrawal. Locked up one week in a small room. For him, it was that radical action. I want to give my life over to Jesus. I want to trust him to deliver me, and God did. And for those of us in ministry, Pastor Billy Graham, a remarkable evangelist, a few years ago the Lord took him home. Early on in his ministry, after finishing a campaign, he went back into his hotel room when he was still traveling alone, and he saw, he saw a naked woman in his bed waiting for him to tempt him. So he closed the door, ran out, reported what had happened. And from that point on, he came up, he came on with this rule. It's called the Billy Graham rule, where he would not travel, meet, or eat alone with a woman other than his wife. Just so that he would not be tempted, and just so that God's name, Jesus' name, would not be profaned. To prevent any sin, sexual sin, or even slander to come upon him. And some of us, we need to have this mindset and take that radical action. The next step, sometimes, of radical action is renunciation. And we see that in Acts chapter 19, where it's not just enough to renounce or to confess. 
but to completely turn away from and to burn up. In Acts 19, verses 17 through 20, a group of shamans and witches in the city of Ephesus come together. And having experienced the power of God, it says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas which is about $5 million in today's currency. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. For them, it was not enough to say, God, forgive me for consulting witches, for playing with Ouija boards. They brought all that stuff and burned it up. And some of you may need to do that. Whether it's witchcraft, DVDs, video games, Just a month ago, I was talking to a fellow Baptist pastor up in Virginia, Percival, which is a high, middle-class, upper-class neighborhood. A lot of millionaires there. One of his church members, their son, 27 years old, heavily addicted to violent video games, heard a voice telling him to kill himself. So you know what he did? He got gasoline from his garage, poured it upon himself, set himself on fire. 90% of his body burned up, and I think he's dead. I asked the pastor what happened to him. He never came back. I I think the the family was too ashamed to report it to the newspaper or even to anyone else. And the pastor said, they should have pulled his son out of playing violent video games. He was addicted to it, but he kept playing and playing, and finally he heard the voice. And if that's you, or if those are your children, I think those parents are now saying, I regret not taking all that away, destroying it, and committing my son to a rehab program where he can come out of playing video games all day. And so Jesus is inviting us to take radical action as we repent. This woman that you see on the screen, her name is Shoista. She was a Tajik Muslim and a witch. And my wife spent four hours with her sharing the gospel. At the end of four hours, this woman came to Christ and faith took her to Acts 19, the passage that we just read, and explained to her, you need to not only confess to Jesus what you have done is wrong, but you need to burn up all the instruments of witchcraft, including the Quran. And so she burned them up that day to be set free. Otherwise, she could be tempted to go back. And they wanted to close the door to any temptation to go back to witchcraft. Two days after she burned up the witchcraft, all the artifacts... She had a dream, and in her dream, she was baptized by John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? You know, even before we could baptize her in the river, the Lord sent her a dream. I am pleased with you. And he baptized her in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And so I want to encourage and challenge you. Are there things in your life that cause you to sin and tempt you? The radical action is to burn them up. Don't sell them. 
Other people don't need to be tempted by the same thing. Burn them. That's just exactly what they did in Ephesus. The next part or phase or phase or face of repentance is reconciliation. In Matthew 5:23, Jesus teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, before you come and offer anything, not only offering, come to church to worship or even enter into ministry. Or I know we just sent a team to Ecuador. Before they can even engage in missions, make reconciliation. Confess your sins. Bring healing in your relationship with one another and with God. And then serve him and then offer gifts to him. So what you see on the screen is me and my daughter Karis when she was one. My wife and I and our three kids, we went to Varanasi, India for three months on a short-term mission trip. And our job was to do research amongst Ansari Muslim people group. About There would be 20 million in northern India, and we wanted to expose their need to the church across the world and the need for missions amongst this unreached people group. And so our work was to go and interview, meet up with Ansari Muslims, interview them, and explain who they are to the rest of the world. Now, a couple weeks into that country, my wife and I and our daughter, we were out in the street, and we were having an argument about where we should have lunch. And I know couples don't do that here. You guys are beyond that level. But, you know, we were just starting out, and we were still in seminary. We were immature, so we were fighting about where to eat. And the problem was, Eating lunch in India, if, and I opted, I said, let's eat at the street shop because the food is ready, it's hot, and it only takes maybe 15, 30 minutes, and we can go with our work. But the problem is if you eat from the street, it usually didn't last in our stomach. We would have diarrhea, and then we would have to quickly find a nearest toilet. And then she said, let's eat at the restaurant. The problem was eating at a restaurant, it would take about two hours in our small town. By the time we went and ordered the food, they would send out an employee who would go to the bazaar, do all the shopping, bring the food back, and then they would cook it and then feed us so that it would be fresh. Well, I thought, okay, two hours by that time, we lost half the day anyway. So we got into an argument for about five, ten minutes in front of everybody in English, hoping that no one would understand. And then we decided, let's just skip lunch. And so we asked, we said, I'm sorry to each other. We asked for forgiveness. We held our hands and we prayed, God, would you forgive us? We're acting like little idiots right out here in the street. Hardly any, any reflection of Jesus. Would you forgive us? And in the name of Jesus Christ, we said, amen. And then this man with bicycle rickshaw, he came up to us and he said, I will take you to Ansari Muslims. Get in my rickshaw. 
And he would be the one for the rest of the two months there, taking us to every Ansari Muslim community and businesses to introduce to us to them. We were looking for someone like him, and we did not find him for the first couple weeks. And it was not until we reconciled, we said, I'm sorry to each other, that God sent him to be his angel, in a way, to us. And the Lord waited for that opportune time. And so I want to encourage you, if that's part of your repentance step over the next couple days or even weeks, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to repent and to reconcile the broken relationships. One step further in reconciliation is during your time of offending someone, if you have stolen from them or if you owe them financially any debt, is restitution. And we see that in, in the Gospels, in the account of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was short. He was hated by everyone in his town. And he knew that Jesus was coming to his town, so he climbs up sycamore tree and looks down, and Jesus finds him, looks up to him. And then he says this, Zacchaeus, come down immediately I must stay at your house today. And Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, this is what the people say. He said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, how can Jesus go to the house of a sinner, not a respectable man? But Zacchaeus, even though he knows what people are saying, he invites Jesus to his home, and then he says later, he stands up and he says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Here is true repentance. Not only that he says to God, Forgive me for cheating people, but God, because I have cheated people, if I have done that to anyone, I will pay back four times as much. And that may be some action required of you. If you owe IRS any money because you've cheated the government, traffic tickets, imagine paying the government four times as much. But I believe that's a, an action that God requires in our lives. So let me... That's the next slide. So that's a picture of Zacchaeus. And then this, is, uh, you may not recognize him, but the one who's smiling brightly, that's Josiah, Pastor Josiah and his brother. Those are our typical pets in Uzbekistan. So if you think they're cool pets, go to the mission field. You can have amazing pets on the mission field. Well, anyway, about that age, when we were living in Samarkand, we were living with a Tajik Muslim family. And as parents, we made the mistake of buying our children slingshots from Thailand. And so Josiah was practicing. He and his brother were practicing that in our courtyard. And he accidentally broke a glass of our neighbor. And he didn't tell us that. And so two days later, our neighbor told us, and so we... Spanked Josiah. He had no food that evening, he and his brother. And then the next day, I decided we need to make restitution. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. 
what you have damaged, you have to fix. So he and I, we went to the local glass shop and whatever allowance he had, plus any future allowances, we took that money, paid for the glass, came back and replaced the glass because restitution was needed. And to my knowledge, he has not broken any more neighbor's windows. You can ask him about that. But it's this process of correcting our mistakes that's part of the repentance. And I I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus, but if you owe people money and you have stolen from somebody, and they may not even know about it, you need to go and confess. Otherwise, I believe you will not be set free and that temptation to steal, to lie, will continue with you. And Jesus is saying, be radical. If you made a crime, you know, if you sinned against anybody, not only confess, but repent. And the reason why repentance, uh, next slide, is important is in Proverbs 28, 13. It says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. As you confess and renounce, as you make restitution, as you take radical actions, the mercy of God will come and bring healing. And I want to go back, especially because of my wife's, my, our ministry with uh, missionaries and potential missionaries. If they have past sexual sins, we encourage them to repent, to confess to their spouses that they're married to currently. Last fall when we were in Germany, we were there for a week and we were praying for this godly, you know, it seemed like attractive, mature, young German couple, blonde hair, blue eyes, both of them very handsome and beautiful. The woman was involved in sex trafficking, ministry to the trafficked girls. And she herself would go into the brothels to rescue girls coming from all different parts of Germany and even from the world. But she would say to my wife, please pray for me because sometimes I'm, I'm struggling with fear that as I'm going to the brothels, I, f- I fear that there'll be a demonic spirits attacking me, that someone's going to attack me. And so as Faith was praying for this woman, at the end of two-hour prayer, this woman confessed that when she was a teenager, she had lesbian relationship with another German girl in high school locker room. And she felt at the time, as she was continuing the lesbian relationship, whenever she took shower, she felt the hand of someone touching her, even though no one was there. And that relationship had opened the door for the demonic spirits to come and harass her. And she did not know how to deal with that. And she was not confessing that until that time she was confronted. And by God's grace, she decided to repent and confess that openly and ask God to forgive her. And her countenance changed. And from that day on, she was set free from the fear of evil spirits that would come and touch her or attack her. She found mercy. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, cleansed by the blood of Jesus that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And this is God's desire. He wants to send revival. That refreshing, another way to say it is recovery of breath, 
that God's breath will come. Something that we had when we first came to Christ, we lost over the years because of our struggle with sin. Because we didn't confess and repent and renounce. God is saying, I will bring that into your life. Next slide. But for now, as we struggle with our own sinful desires, as we're wanting to become more and more like Christ, overcoming those temptations of the flesh, we're comforted by these two verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted and so jesus took on flesh and blood and he was tempted in the same way and suffered through that so that he may help us in our time of need when we are tempted the next slide and so that takes us to those times in our lives when we're struggling with temptation. And sometimes we don't even know it. And God will send us gentle reminders. So as some of you know, this is our home that God has blessed us with. We didn't buy it. We didn't build it. Someone decided to let us live there. It's a gift to us. Ten acres, beautiful place. It even has a swimming pool. And you can ask Pastor Josiah more about it, how how God blessed us with this home. About a year after we moved in, our two sons are studying in college. Both of them are living together in an apartment, and they're in need of a dresser. And you know, missionaries, we struggle with materialism, just like the rest of the congregation. And so we decided we need a, a dresser. And so one Sunday after church, It began to rain, and as we were going home, we saw a sign for yard sale. So my wife and I went into this small house looking for a dresser. We didn't find any, but we found these two ornamental pillars to put plants on. And we wanted that for our new home. So we didn't find a dresser, but we came and we spent about 30 minutes. We bargained with them and we got a good deal, half price, so we saved $40. So we went home, put them in our dining room, and we were admiring that. And then a thunderstorm started and a lightning struck, and it struck very close to our house. The whole house shook. The next day I go out, and it actually struck a tree. And the tree fell, but thank God it didn't strike our house. It just felt just short of the house. And then I wanted to cut it up with a chainsaw. So I tried to open the garage door, and it wouldn't open. The electrical surge from the lightning strike took out our garage door opener. And I felt like God was saying to me, the money that you saved on those ornamental pillars, 
is nothing compared to, it would cost me $200 to fix this. And so I chose not to fix the garage door opener because every time I open it up manually, it's a reminder of what the Lord said. In Exodus 31, 14, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. I'm glad that God did not put me to death. Because whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. And God was saying, James and Faith, honor me on the Lord's day. Don't go about doing what you want to do. And I know he had the right to strike me. But because of his mercy, and he knows I'm weak, he was reminding me, you know, whatever you do on Sunday, it's a day of rest and worship. And so I don't know what your struggles are even on Sundays. If you're going after games, after games, watching TV, that's, ask God, is that really honoring the Lord? So going back to the text, we'll now look at the second category. The first one is our sinful desires. The second one, what is Jesus talking about in the prayer, lead us not into temptation? And I believe there are times, just like in Matthew chapter 4, this will happen. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Because I believe as Jesus was teaching us the Lord's Prayer, his mind was going back to a few chapters earlier. At the beginning of his ministry, after being anointed by the Holy Spirit, when he came out of the Jordan River being baptized, he was, this is what happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And this account of the temptations of Jesus, when he suffered after fasting 40 days, hungry, and Satan comes to tempt him, is what's on his mind. That God would not do that with us, because it was the Spirit that led Jesus to be tempted. And he suffered. And he says, pray that God would not let you do that. Because these three temptations of Jesus, in a way, were parallel temptations that the people of Israel struggled through in the desert. When they were coming out of Egypt, during 40 years, they complained to God, we don't have food. God gave them manna. We don't have a drink. And God gave them water from the rocks. And then when Moses did not come down from Mount Sinai after a long period of time, they built the golden calf to worship and say, this is the God that delivered us out of Egypt. 
And in all three cases, Jesus overcomes the temptation with God's word. And I want you to see that God did not make Satan disappear. He did not put Satan in a cage. Instead, he allowed Jesus to be tested, which is another word for temptation, to be proven, to be validated of who God is. And God wanted Jesus to overcome the temptations through the power of the Holy Spirit and by trusting in God's word. And he allows that to be an example to us. And so that Jesus can become this high priest that we read about here in Hebrews chapter 4. Can we read this together? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this aspect of Jesus, since the time that he was, he ascended into heaven, even today, this is his blessing to us, his role in our lives. And going back to the time when, when Peter was tested in the courtyard. Few hours before that testing, this, this is what Jesus had already warned Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, what Satan did was he came to Jesus and asked for permission. Can I test your disciple, Peter, and Jesus gives the permission. And that's going to happen in our lives. As you advance God's kingdom, Satan is going to come to test you, not because of your flesh desires, but because you're going into his kingdom, and he doesn't want that, and he wants you to fail, and he wants you to be fearful. Yes, Peter struggled with pride. He's the one who said, I'm the best of, you know, he thought he was the greatest of all the disciples, that he would never deny Jesus but that had to be tested. But the amazing thing is Jesus knew that, and he said, I have prayed for you that you would not fail. And Peter does deny Jesus three times, but because of Jesus' prayer, he's restored, and he eventually comes back being the leader of the church. And so here are the reasons in our lives why the Holy Spirit would allow us to be tempted, and perhaps some of us will be led into temptation by the Father, so that we are tested. But most of the times, it will be the enemy himself coming to test us so that we would trust in God's word, that we, our faith would be tested, that it would be strengthened, proven to be genuine, that God would reveal our own weaknesses, and ultimately, that God would receive the glory that he deserves because he stands by us. You and I, each of us, have a faith that is more precious than gold and that needs to be tested. As we overcome, you know, as we live out the Sermon on the Mount, the caliber of our faith will continue to grow, and eventually Satan will come and test you. And this happened in the life of 
one of our dear friends, Pastor Shafkat in, in Kyrgyzstan. He came to Christ even before we met him. But soon after he came to Christ, he, his younger brother, and his cousin and their wives, so three couples came to Christ in this majority, this Uzbek town, fanatical Muslims. 2,000 men came to his house, and they called him out, and his brother and his cousin. So three new Christians were called out into the midst of the crowd of 2,000 Muslim men. They came with sticks, shovel, and axe. They would quickly quick kill these three converts and then bury them before the police came. And so Shafkat and his brother and cousin, they went into the middle of the crowd, the three of them, and the crowd parted. And as soon as they were in the middle, the whole crowd closed up. And they were saying, Allah Akbar, which means God is great. They're ready to kill these three men. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit led Shafkat to lift up his right arm straight up to heaven. And as soon as he pointed towards heaven, a wind came down from heaven and fell down on all the men. And five, six layers of men right around Shafkat fell backwards. They're thrown back. And the whole crowd became quiet. It was the presence of God. And Shafkat knew who was there. It was the Holy Spirit. So without fear, he said to the whole crowd, you know who I am. I grew up as a Muslim. I used to drink. I used to fight. I used to commit adultery, smoke. And God changed all that when I started following Jesus. And you can do to me anything you want today, but I'll never deny Jesus. And the priest, the Muslim priest who organized this gathering, is unrest. He said to his crowd, how come none of you can say this about your religion, like this man is saying about Jesus? Why can't you say this about Muhammad, our prophet? And no one dared to speak because they were deathly afraid of whatever the spirit, whatever the force was that knocked five, six layers of men down on their feet, that they did not dare to speak because of, they thought that they would be killed by whoever was there. And by God's grace, the Kyrgyz police came just in time. They saw that there was a demonstration. They drove right into the middle of the crowd, arrested the three men because they thought these were the insiders, those who were inciting the rebellion. They arrested them, put them in prison, and during that time, the U.S. Embassy heard about this, and the American government put pressure on the Kyrgyz government. Do not allow anything to happen to these three men. Your country is supposed to have constitutional freedom of religion. If anything happens to these three men, we will cut off financial aid, assistance to your country. So the government gave pressure to the local town mayor, and he said to the townspeople, don't touch them. They're just exercising their religion. And so when we, were, when we moved to Kyrgyzstan in 2006, we met with him and his wife. We heard his testimony. We were overjoyed at his stand for Jesus, even though he could be, have been tempted to deny Jesus so that he would not be killed, he chose to stand firm for Jesus, and God honored him. And during our one year working with him in 2006, 2007, over 30 Muslims came to Christ, and through three house churches were born through that ministry together. But he had to be tested first, and the Holy Spirit allowed him 
to be tested by the crowd of people from his town. And I want to close with this example, a more recent example right here in the States. Her name is Jaylene Hinkle. She's a gifted soccer player. She's in the National League right here in the U.S. In 2018, she helped her North Carolina professional team win the National Women's Soccer League Championship. A few years before that, in 2015, being a strong, devout Christian, a follower of Jesus, after the Supreme Court's same-sex marriage ruling, this is what she posted on her Instagram. She said, Jesus didn't come to save those who already, who already believed in him. He came for the lost, the rejected, those who are abandoned, so that they would find and believe him. And then she says this, I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. It's not a fictional book. It's not a pick and choose what you want to believe. You either believe it or you don't. This world may change, but Christ and his word will never change. Amen. And then she says, the rainbow was a covenant made between God and all his creation creation that never again would the world be flooded as it was when he destroyed the world during Noah's time. It's a constant reminder that no matter how corrupt this world becomes, God will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing grace, even during times of trial and confusion. And then two years later, in 2017, she was invited to join the national women's team to play for the team. But it meant that she would have to wear a jersey that symbolized the Gay Pride Month. And she chose not to wear that jersey. She chose not to play. And these are her words. I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to just seek and pray and determine what God was asking me to do in this situation. And after her time of prayer, you know, it would be fame, recognition, moving up the ladder to play for the national team, win championships. But she chose not to play, to honor God. And I believe that's why on this recent when the, there was the Women's World Cup in Paris, she was not on the team roster. They did not even invite her because both the coach and the team captain are openly gay, lesbian, and she was not invited. Just like Jesus' third temptation where Satan said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms and the splendors of the world. And this woman, Jalen Hinkle, said, no way. I will honor Jesus. And it doesn't matter if I play on the national team or not. She did not bow down to Satan. The temptation was there, but she chose not to bow down. And Jesus, when she was praying and fasting, asking God, what do I do? He answered her. And so as we come to a close, if we can come before God and just Close our eyes, bow our hearts before God.
And I don't know where your walk is with the Lord. And some of you, if you're not, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come, even this morning after the service, to come to the pastors, to the shepherd leaders, find out more about who Jesus is. So that you would give your life over to him. But some of you, if you already made your confession of faith and you're, you've been following Jesus for many years, if you're still struggling with your sinful desires, addiction to horror movies, video games, social media, substance, habit of lying, gossiping, God is asking to take some radical actions. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And David prays that prayer of Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. See if there is any wicked way in me. See if there is any addiction in my life. See if there's any habit. God, see if there's any relationship that needs to be restored, reconciled. If I have to make any restitution. And then David prays, and lead me in the way everlasting. That God would lead us not into temptation, but to follow Christ faithfully. And knowing that at those times as we are following Christ and advancing his kingdom against those who are living in the kingdom of darkness, that we will be tested, that we will be tempted. But at those times, we know that we have a high priest who prays for us, intercedes on our behalf, who will strengthen us. will save us from our temptations, where, whether they are from the enemy's attacks or because of our sinful desires, that Christ is there to strengthen us. So during this time, just a few minutes, would you come before the Lord and make that an honest prayer? Holy Spirit, search my heart. Test me. Reveal to me what's hidden. And for some of you, the Holy Spirit may have already been pointing that out. And then you need to take the next radical step. Not only just to confess, but to deal with your sinful desires. Pattern of addiction. that you can truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, the ending to the Lord's prayer that we say often is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so that through our lives, 
you know, as we overcome our, the temptations from our sinful desires, as we put to death that part of us that often leads us to temptation, so we can, our lives can truly reflect God's kingdom, His power, His glory. here on earth. So Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for everyone here in this room, Lord, young and old, men and women, rich and poor, coming from all different backgrounds. God, you created us, you know us, you're intimate with us. And Lord, your desire is always consecrate us, to make us more holy as you are holy, to make us like your son, Jesus Christ. So this, Lord, today, this morning, this afternoon, we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in us. Reveal to us, Lord, those areas in our lives where we need to just lay down, put to death. And Father, we do pray for those times, just like in Shavkat's life or Jaylene's life where they were tested they were tempted but their faiths were genuine Lord, they stood up for Jesus and God you, you honor them and you are honoring them and so Father we pray for that aspect of our lives as well as we advance your kingdom into the places of darkness And when we are tested, that you would deliver us from the evil one, just like you did with your son, Jesus Christ, that you would also deliver us to overcome those temptations so that we may bring glory to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.